0: Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Joe Quadara. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. So folks, today we are going to talk about Joe's experience with indie game consulting and finding a sweet spot where, in your own words, the work almost became too easy. So I was really interested when you sent me that message. But first, could you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, uh, maybe the short version is, let's see, it's been 20 plus years of making video games. I was in college for uh, graphic design and electronic music, and then it turned out that I realized video games is a career while I was in college. I was playing video games in the arcade, met some game designers, and... Asked them how they got started, and they all said it was QA or quality assurance, aka testing. Yep. Um, and one of them said, you know, Joe, you'd be really good at it based on the way that you play the game. Like it's uh, it was fighting games, it's, uh, Street Fighter, Tekken, and there were things that I was doing in the game that really had nothing to do with winning. They had everything to do with breaking the game and turning the character the wrong direction and fighting away from the other players and just just doing wacky things. And, um, yeah, I, I like, I already had done a lot of 3d work and 3ds max in high school and illustrator and, and in high school. And then when I was in college, I was looking for, uh, access to the, like, they had silicon graphics machines. So this was like 98, 99, mm-hmm. 2000. And it was so funny they, they. I remember peeking in through the doors of the classroom of this is, this would be third year classes and uh, into this program. And they were literally just like writing their names and uh, just typing them in some font and then extruding it into 3d. And it's like, it was so basic in in terms of what I could already do. Wow. And I I was just like, can I get at least into these classes? And they were like, Oh no, 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 you got to and, I, and the, the one thing like the, uh, I, I did, I don't remember what their role is, like counselor or whatever. They they said, you can propose your own mm-hmm. curriculum. So I proposed it and they just flat out denied it. <laughs> yeah. <can get> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a whole like confluence events and I'm not going to get too into like the, the, the darkness or the sadness of it, but, uh, Found myself without financial aid and without um ability to like continue school. And I just remember one guy that would show up on Wednesdays at Sunnyville Golfland and playing Tekken and saying, Yeah, you can do it. And I found him. I was like, Okay, you said it. I'm here. I gave him my resume and four months later, uh, I got a call from the QA manager. Wow. Crystal dynamics of eight. It was like, I, I, I think it was $11 an hour to test video games. But the the glory and the beauty of it was it was a small company that nobody cared who you were or how you got there. It was just like, you're here. Great. Well, what can you do? We always need more work. And they were happy that I knew fighting games and uh, and eventually, I learned how to beat them all in Counter Strike, so they respected me for that too. So, so um, they made me the, the combat and gameplay designer at some point. Oh, wow! Yeah, like it was on. Uh, so, it was designer, uh, project mode. I, I, one last bit is I, I did make a uh Faustian deal with a the producer that was just really good at managing everybody and on time and i and he said be a producer for me and i'll make you a designer later and i did that and i'm glad i did because it taught me how to like be efficient with time and think about like when to make decisions and when to make big decisions like make them early and not make them late and
0: that carried me forward for a long time wild okay so that's a a big timeline so you said the that is wreck storage's story so like yeah it really is yeah yeah, so so from the L video game parlor, that was you said that was like late nineties, and yeah. and yeah. then so into when you started to when you felt like you kind of had the producer role under your belt, like what year would that have been?
1: Uh, I'd say producer role was about like two thousand six, and then the and then I crafted what we now call gameplay designer on like the Tomb Raider uh titles but like we didn't have that role before that wasn't a title so it was sort of like self-directed a thing I could do and then I segued that into like lead combat lead gameplay design director etc it was a it's a funny thing to be able to be in an industry and navigate through it and I I have plenty of peers that have done the same thing, so it's not I'm not unique in this. But now there are people like going to school
0: and getting and reading books about what I learned on the job, mm. just totally cutting edge, brand new stuff. Yep. Just before we move into the the sort of business aspects of the the consulting, how would you quantify the size of the market? Video games seem like, like there's a million of them, but compared to say like the number of Hollywood movies that come out in a year, how many video games come out in a year? Is it like way more, way less? It's getting
1: more every year. I think there was, and that's a large part of the, like, um, I'm going to mess up this word, I think the democratization of just tools for, it it, it gets easier and easier for younger and younger people to make and fewer and fewer fewer people to make games. Um, were once t- smaller teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah like okay. it once it took like you know, like there was a like the, like we're literally inventing the technology, and then at some point the technology becomes sort of like there's a winning version of it, and there's an easier use or data pattern, and like it's ubiquitous, pushed out forward. Hmm.
0: Would you categorize things like, you know, I've got like still pretty young kids. Would you categorize things like Roblox in-game mm. stuff as games or no?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, and Roblox is amazing because it actually like exposes the players to the ability to change things and write their own, which is exactly what being a game designer or game developer is. And it's like being able to see the thing and saying, I wish it was a little bit different and being mm-hmm. able to go in there and change it. I think that's like really important is like not to take, uh, software as face value is yeah. being able to like, see it as like, oh, I can, if I can dream it to be a little bit different I can
0: potentially change it. Yeah. I don't have to just be a consumer. I can be a creator. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's very important. Love that. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So is there like, uh, is it a, a billion dollar market? Is it a hundred million dollar market? Yeah. I think we're beyond the value of hollywood at this point so um
1: i don't know the number it's certainly over a billion because there are entire franchises that are billion dollar franchises like like grand theft auto for instance is an outlier but is easily a billion dollar franchise in itself and there of course you know like six of them or whatever like the six that's coming out probably in the next year or so but um we're talking multi-billions uh and and it's, I, and if you look at games across the demographics of it, it's actually fairly even across like genders as well, which is great. It's, it's, but the it's when we have, we have to open our minds in terms of games. It's not just all like fighting games and shooters and sports games. There's like the Sims and there's animal crossing and there's yeah. a lot of, and there's games on the phone and like mobile games that have really taken off. Um, in the last 10 years to the point where, uh, there's entirely new models, essentially, like in terms of like pricing and business models of, it's all based on platform and usage really, but right. it's, a, it's highly lucrative. My, uh, uh Personal gripe is that a lot of the time, the developers do not really get to partake in the success
0: of the games. Yeah. Okay, so that's a perfect segue into the consulting bit. What is indie game consulting? So, like, what? how do you define the two? Like, they're going to be, un- probably most people are, even if they're familiar with playing CSGO or whatever, they're not familiar with the industry. So, like, what is an indie game studio in the first place and what it, versus what? Like, right, person right, in their basement versus EA?
1: Yeah, we we... We've for a long time talked in the industry of uh, the, the big game that we all know, right? The Counter uh, Strikes, the, the uh, well, beyond Counter Strike at this point. It's we're the Call of Duties, the Fortnite, right? Yeah. Um, all the big ones that you know, we call those A, and the AAA, it's not really very easily definable but if you really look at all of them it's about the marketing budget and the budget of the development budget right so if you're talking about world of warcraft or anything that blizzard makes overwatch uh, league of legends these are all games that are somewhere at, i'd say minimum of 60 million and that's like really a stretch because most of them Probably touch a hundred million dollars to make, and then if they're taking a hundred million dollars to make, they're probably they're spending a lot of money in marketing and just getting their um, name out there, right? So that's that tends to be triple A, and then yeah, it's like a blockbuster, Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. There tends every now and then we have the uh, the darlings that kind of come out. That are not quite AAA, like the Elden Rings, the Demon Souls. These games that come out of Japan that are don't quite have the same budget, but they certainly crunched their developers to the bones and make it. And then, and the players love it. And then, and I have no problem with those games in terms of like the playability of it. I certainly have a problem with the um, the development method of like, well, should people be working seven days a week? Ten hours a day, sure, right. probably not. Um, but these are w- amazing people. It's like the the it's like the Miyazaki's kind of like uh, studios of the, the world. So, but when you really kind of harken back, then there's a, in the last I'd say decade, there's been a lot of games that have come out that are made for twenty million or less, and often five million or less. Yeah, and these are games that. Kind of like touch on, they're, they're unique. They're weird. They're strange. They don't, um, they don't have realistic graphics. They tend yep. to be stylized. They tend to uh, ignore the affordances in design that we normally expect. And they have a they, they a smaller market, but who they connect with and how they connect tends to be really strong. And right. if you know film. Mm. I mean, I'm gonna like speak to myself for a second. Like David Lynch, I love <laughs> David Lynch. He's weird, and I don't recommend David Lynch to anybody. But David Lynch and I will, for whatever reason, I love his films, right? Yep. And I love Jermaine mm-hmm. Clement and like and Iko and and their weird films every now and then, <laughs> and 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 these kind of like strange little small films that sometimes get pulled into the Marvel. For whatever reason, or Mandalorian, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I applaud it, you know, it's like Kevin Smith and Clerks, these small budget films, it's similar with the indie world. And um, it's where I want change to go. I don't want games to be all about combat and all about selling a, um, a power fantasy. For yeah. Like,
0: you know? yeah, that's funny. I never thought of it like that, but I know exactly what you mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, if you think of it, you go all the way back to so like, you know, Galaga and uh, these arcade games, they, the reason they work, well, I could,
0: I, I'm like, I'm going to spot myself for a second, just yeah. to, because I can, I can go on a rant right now. Okay. Well, let me, okay. So I'll ask you some, I guess this is, I'm not sure if this is relevant to the listener, but it's relevant to me. So I'm going to ask anyway. Um, so what, when you look at a game like Granny or Five Nights at Freddy or Slay the Princess <laughs> that are arguably ugly Mm it's overly simplistic like that doesn't bother you it used to Mm -hmm.
1: it used to i really wanted games to be the best that they could be and now i'm realizing there's a charm to the weirdness and and weirdness is like um and if and if we love the weird uh if i there is a moment and there's and actually you can see it now even. You look at like any game commercial or game trailer you look for best games of 2023 or best games of 2024 on YouTube. I guarantee to you you're gonna see a lot of games that look really similar. Yeah. Because all that money is going into uh realism and a sense and a sense of a zeitgeist of even if if it's not pure realism, there's a zeitgeist of style that is pushing on technology and pushing on um well just the, the the like the expense essentially yep like much like avatar or anything else and and, and there's a moment where you just sit back and you're like these games all look the same and then like 10 years ago <laughs> it was like they were all de-sa- like desaturated art and with uh, and uh gears of war was the big one which happened to be epic games which now makes fortnite and they sold it off to Microsoft, but the the point is like well, dirty, gritty uh textures was the thing and back in the day, and now it's we're moving so far into realism and um that if you aren't looking so amazing and and uh, like I hate this word, but still make maybe cinematic yep then then are you really uh, like is is your dollar worth it if you're spending 60 70 80 dollars plus dlc
0: and battle yeah, pass. the customer so, yeah
1: yeah then like are you getting your money's worth really and that's kind of the question there and right. but if you look at indie games they have to compete on a different scale because if you compete on realism then i call it it's an arms race and you, you just can't compete with these big dogs
0: right so you need to go in the other direction almost and just be like yeah we're obviously not playing that game because like look at bendy and the ink machine or little nightmares or something it's like Slay the spy
1: it's like it, it like it's a it's a beautiful game but it's weird and it's strange and it's not done by a traditional artist it's almost outsider art and but the game is so beautifully crafted hmm. what's that one called uh slay the spires so oh the um it's like it's a card game it's like a it's a there's a whole genre now called rogue likes and rogue lights. And it's, it's uh, you you will die every time you play. <laughs> and that's the point. And yeah. the point is, but every time you play, you are earning something that will make your next run uh, yeah. easier or more interesting. Wow. And it's, uh, for indie game developers, it happens to be, uh, an efficient way of making games because you can keep adding on content as you end and have a live product
0: right so you can kind of build as you lay the tracks in front of the train so to speak yes
1: it ends it, and players don't it is uh, if i make a tomb raider i'm doing level one level two level three mm-hmm. and there's a sequential narrative and if i happen to update the game and say oh hey you beat the game or you're in level three doesn't matter where you're six months in I updated the game with this new, um, content. A lot of players are just going to see that content and see it's not for me. Maybe I've, I've already, I'm already, I've already beat the game or I, that will only really affect level two. I'm too far in to make that challenge. But if the game, uh, as a default sort of standard, like the, the idea is like, I keep playing it over and over and it's my next. I have more unlocks to earn, you know, it, it kind of works. And so for indie game developers, it's, it's just been like a growing genre. There's, there's a lot of like ways to think about game development and what works for a small team is completely
0: different for what works for a large team. So somebody that's in your sweet spot in terms of indie game consulting, what does that shop usually look like? It's wild. It's, um,
1: it's so much smaller than I ever imagined,
0: to be honest, like,
1: these are teams of like five to seven people and they have a, uh, a Rolodex and kind of like a, which is I'm sure an outdated term of course, but like, um, like another 10 to 12 people that glom onto the team and become part. But what, a, what's great about the on track nature of these extra people is they don't feel like they are obligated to be um, full-time employees with uh, with, with benefits uh, beyond
0: whatever their contracted sort of work is. And are these usually like, I'm just imagining they're pretty young. Like, are we talking about people in their 20s normally or not necessarily?
1: I've seen quite a lot of differences. I've seen teams that are working on, with primarily South America. I've seen teams that are, are all hold into one location because that's what brings them together. I've seen like uh my own team is I have an, a separate team in Ohio and it's what's great about it is the team loves working together and being together and that's what generates their creativity, right? So and there's other teams that are um the, yeah, they are for whatever reason they just gel even though they're remote, but they uh it, I I do think there's a time zone factor. If they're in the same time zone usually. Um it's really hard to manage game teams across multiple time zones. I'm not saying it's possible. The triple eight big bear teams, they do it all the time. Getting collaboration across time zones is not the easiest thing. It's very multidisciplinary, So it requires a lot of uh, people coming together and saying, what is the problem? How do we solve it together rather than how do I solve it individually on my own? What do you offer
0: to these these sorts of studios in terms of consulting? Like what is the issue that they're having? What stage of their business maturity or or artistic maturity are they at? You know, like have they... Have they done five games before, and then they would need someone like you, or is, is this is their first rodeo? Like, what's the what's the problem that they're having that you could you're the best at helping them with?
1: But, so, so, but that's something great, buddy. I uh, I'm gonna give you a lot of credit on this one. I what used to be a firefighter. Mm-hmm. I used to be called in to a game team that was say six months from release and they had we'll say there, there was one in particular that had something like 12 um boss fight battles to do for their for their game and those their the main thing about their game was combat uh in 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 game terms it was third person action so kind of like a Fortnite kind of thing right. but uh, they hadn't done any, any of their boss battles. They had a lot of like levels with enemies, but they needed the, uh, you know, just like the, uh, complex, just moments to just capitalize on each level. And I heard that and I just could not imagine getting that done. Cause I like, in my mind, what they wanted to hit was the top level um again triple A big budget style boss battles. And and I looked at them and I said, you know, the, the God of War team that is known for boss battles, they have teams of let's say 12 people, okay. up to 20 people that are working for at minimum four months to a year per boss battle. And you
0: <laughs> That's want, so crazy.
1: And you want me to come in.
0: <laughs> to do three of them in six
1: months. Yeah, to do like 12 of them in six months. And yeah. I was just like, it's not gonna happen. And I was getting these kind of blank stares of like, does not compute. Like they they um they had already agreed to having this game done
0: You're right by a certain now, who who are they who's that agreement with?
1: Well they're uh the investors the people that are Giving the money, on a milestone basis, to have the game done by a certain date. Okay, and are, are these
0: are these just these would be uh, publishers? Publishers. Okay, thanks.
1: Uh, so, so the uh, the yeah the, the the structure is publishers typically fund the game, yeah. whole or in part, and get to sort of like. um they they offer marketing, they offer distribution, they offer uh essentially right. and, and on top of that, all the other things that a developer won't even think about building. And in return, they get they recoup their costs yeah. at some some ratio, like maybe right. 70% of the dollar that's earned or so.
0: Right. Okay. Any game publishers that people listening might have heard of just to place it?
1: Yes. Yeah, of course. So you've heard of EA. You've heard of... So EA is a third-party publisher. That means they are, like, on their own. Uh, They are not owned by a platform. So Microsoft is a first-party. They have their own hardware platform. They have the Xbox, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever Microsoft is publishing a game that's their own, Mm, they probably... Don't mind spending a little bit more because it's probably selling hardware also. Yep. Uh same thing with Sony with the PlayStation, same thing with Nintendo. These are all first party platforms. Hmm. EA, uh 2K, Rockstar, those are the third party publishers. And then you from there are you uh what was the other one? Oh, Activision Blizzard, right? So that's another well didn't Microsoft buy Blizzard? They did just buy, yeah, they've been in, I don't know, I think it may have just gone through. I think there was a, uh, what does yeah. it call it? Something, but anti-dress, the process to get through. So I don't know if they totally got through Not that yet, but I think it's pretty much hit all the gates. So, and Activision Blizzard was, was the biggest third party up until recently when Microsoft bought it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that's super helpful. All right. So cliffhanger what happened with the the 12 boss battles in in your lines oh, during the headlights team or team they like they i i moved away i i, I like i i
1: literally walked away and i we we just c- we could not come to an agreement of working together um it was almost like we were talking speaking in different language and so to answer your question i changed my positioning because i didn't want to be a firefighter anymore i wanted to prevent fire and so, um, excuse me taking a sip of water here. Sure. I, through talking to you, oh, I realized what if I get, uh, in on the, the funding positioning? Mm-hmm. What if I help them get funding? And when they're pitching the investors and asking for a certain amount of money, we will, I can help them, uh, developers and studios, uh, ask for the right amount of money for the game that they're making and uh, pitching the concept of this is the game, this is the film or this is the game we want to build. And if we want to do 12 boss battles, then we know what it's going to cost. and We know how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So we're asking for the right amount of money. We're uh, setting up the team in the right ways to make sure that we have it done right. And we're um, being pretty honest honest and
0: authentic in what we're pitching right just realistic
1: yeah so that's that's been my angle ever since and it's been a lot of fun i i I work with smaller teams uh which is constraints are good jonathan oh
0: yeah you need them
1: it's like wait a second what if what if we don't do stealth and melee fighting and ranged fighting and uh all this other stuff what if we just like sink it down to the core fantasy of the game, and make it as unique as possible. So that's that's been uh, that's been the way that we do it. And the teams, I think, generally like to really enjoy the core uh, thrust of the vision that they end up
0: with. And it's not my vision; it's their
1: vision, right?
0: Mm. So that kind of right sizing the budget and the vision would happen before the, the indie studio has, it's when they're negotiating a deal with some publisher, right? Yeah. Okay. And then would you hang around to kind of troubleshoot or oversee or, or, uh, maybe be a sounding board along the way, or is that the end?
1: It's more like I'm a sounding board. I'm I'm not, there's no overseeing. By that point, I've set them uh, with their core constraints so well that we kind of just have an ongoing sort of relationship and then uh there's one team it's uh that's i'll just call them tim and john right now uh, they have a project called the feast and they've been working on it for gosh like I, I feel like it's three years but they give me updates every few months in terms of like hey joe this is where we're at this is what we're doing this is sort of the um core rest of our game and we've identified a publisher that is going to work with us and, and so forth. And that I I think even right now they're putting together, what they call the Joe build of the game. (laughs) So they can like really update me on where it's gone from where they
0: started. Nice. And so is that a formal relationship or is that, is that just sort of a, a post client?
1: That's a post client thing that I do. And then... Once they get funding, I imagine we'll be working together again. And that's kind of the intent of it. Like my, my goal of all of this is to sort of like have a sort of like a, I don't know what the word is, but a, a group of sustainable indie studios that not necessarily are looking at me for advice, but are all sort of working together and sharing their experience with each other i've had so many studios that i've worked with in the more triple a space that have um shut down catastrophically kind of where like 400 people in the boston rhode island and baltimore areas lost oh, their yeah, job the, i know the rhode islands <laughs> is that's and, true. True. Yeah. and there's and there's not enough um, game companies there to absorb the uh new, the employees that need hiring right so right. that's that's probably it ends up being like three hundred people that kind of, and that's three hundred employees, which represents probably like you know another like a, easily a thousand people that have to move. Yeah, it yeah. Goes up and everything, and so it's just it, it's not a sustainable way to like inflate the the pitch and the concept to uh, investors, and then hire big, and then if it doesn't work, lay off people, especially. Once people start having families. So a large part of what I'm doing is trying to like model a better way of doing it. Interesting.
0: Very interesting. Okay. So what, what is the model that you're using to sort of fund your, whatever your lifestyle is? Like how are you putting Cheerios in the bowl with this kind of, um, this kind of consulting business? Uh, what was the question? How do I put Yeah. Like Cheerios in the bowl. Like how, how Cheerios do you. In the bowl. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where's your cash flow come from? Is the.
1: Yeah. So I was really fortunate because um, when I made the decision to be a consultant, I was a director at a publisher. So I was part of the funding um, apparatus and I was able to convince my boss to, well, actually, he offered, he said, will you consult, will you work with us on a contract basis as a consultant? And it like literally asking me if I would work for him on a contract basis as I'm trying trying this consulting venture out, which was amazing because now I've got access to triple A funding, and i I didn't know I wanted to do indie consulting at this time, and but I had my first client essentially which was my former employer yeah that's actually kind of common
0: not not maybe 50 percent of the time but a lot of folks who get started consulting their first client is their past their last employer it's not not totally rare for people listening like that if you're still in-house that can be a really nice sort of escape route
1: i and yeah and i don't i did not expect that from my boss but i really um I thank him very much. And, and even to the day, like it was last year, he's called me twice to like work on a couple of projects. Cool. So I will always work on the larger projects or the people that I have these deeper relationships with. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, at this point now, I, I've really honed it into uh, a two week evaluation and I will, I will never make an exception at this point. <laughs> to that two-week evaluation because everybody says what they think they need. And well, I'm not saying they're wrong, but like, I have to make sure that I know what I'm getting into before I start pricing things or say yes to anything. Yep. So I always, uh, have a sliding scale based on, uh, essentially what I perceive their budget to be, and really good now at this point is understanding and uh, figuring out what their budget might be. And indie games are not big. They're like, a, uh, like I said, five million or less. They're like usually like two million or less. So they don't got a whole lot of money, but I'll say, here's what it is. I'll do a two week evaluation. And in the first week, I will, uh, speak with all your stakeholders. I'll look at all your materials, uh, whether you've got a build of the game or not, or just pitch materials and documents. And then I will have a meeting at the end of the first week with the stakeholders and kind of give you my, uh, verbal take on the, on the, on assessment, on, on how things are going. And, it, and it's really just kind of like, just see I'm on the right track and, and maybe there's something we're missing. And this happened a few times where we're like, oh, shit. Well, we, well, sorry. We forget, <laughs> we, we forget that. Like, we forgot to like even show Joe this entire like section of the documents or the game. And I go, oh, okay, great. Cool. I got that. And then at the end of the second week, I've got a written document and it's clean and it's a uh, PDF and it essentially just boils it down to the really big things that they need to be aware of. And there's a couple pages of minor things, but I make sure there, it's usually about three to five really big things that if they're not making these changes, they phone in it. They will, the the reason they call me is for a reason. I don't know what it is, but these five things are, or three to five things are probably are, are affecting their, their products and, and they have to make that these changes and I don't need to be there to make these changes. This is for them to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's the main thing. And then I um, go over that with them, come up usually after that, here's, couple offerings that I'll do and those offerings have evolved into um potentially like a uh like advisor according to like a milestone they may have a milestone they're trying to hit in order to uh get their next round of funding or maybe they've got a um specialist kind of gameplay thing that they need to hit and they don't have the leadership that they need but they have got somebody interested in working on that space. And so I call it like design mentor. And so I'll work with that person like twice a week, whatever cadence of like development that they do. And it's, let's let's talk about what you're working on this week. I will give you all the advice that I can in order to make sure that you hit your milestones. And then next week, let's review your work. And it tends to be after three months, Whatever, like, mm-hmm. lack of confidence that they had in this sort of junior person, they just, uh, they they get it. I call it the Eye of Sauron, right? <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that makes sense. It's Like, in development, there's, like, so many things that can go wrong, and when, like, the area of, uh gameplay that I'm known for uh, does goes wrong, like, everybody knows about it. Everybody's looking about it. They're trying to fix it, and that's why I get called and then 3 months later they like they they don't worry about it anymore so they are just like great sure it's been great uh, we've hit our milestone everything's good and uh i've created a relationship with some new designers and animators and programmers and i don't know that i'm always available for them if they have future questions
0: cool so so what in, in your message or that that kind of kicked this off like what you, you mentioned, finding the sweet spot where the work almost becomes too easy. Like, is this uh, an ex- Is this the sweet spot? Like, this the i Sauron offering, or the just sort of like giving them a, a clear eyed assessment of where they're currently at and what the challenges are probably going to be getting from where they are to where they want to go?
1: I think so. I, I think the I will still do the evaluation and getting to the point now where I'm pretty right. comfortable. I've got eighty percent confidence of what the evaluation will result in. Um, in the first sixty minutes of the conversation.
0: Yep, that is called a cold read, and it comes from working with the same. I shouldn't say the same kinds of, but it's like being very specialized on a kind of client allows you to to get past to graduate from having a why conversation every single time into doing a cold read where you can you can take a look around just based on obvious characteristics of the of the firm and take a pretty good guess like you said 80 percent guess of like let me guess you've got this problem this problem this problem and they're like oh my god what do you have esp yeah
1: yeah that's exactly it and so and it's even the budget or they'll say we've got a co-development team in sweden or whatever it is and they'll mention something and That's all I need to hear (laughs) to understand what it is that it, you know, and also the relationship of who it is that's calling me. Right. And that's all it takes. And I, it's not, I don't take any pride in, um, figuring it out fast. I don't want to. In fact, (laughs) I would rather just be like, okay, I think I know where this is going, but keep it open because every now and then I'm surprised sure. by what yep. it is. Yep. So it's, it's kind of like having that kind of um, open-minded curiosity of it. But where it becomes easy now is I don't have to overthink it. I don't, I'm not spending my spare cycles in between meetings, wondering and trying to figure it out. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense.
1: Yeah, I have, by process, it doesn't take a few, it doesn't take many hours. It's a few meetings that it takes and then, and then it's done. And then I've got my, even, even the document that I give them, I, I, I almost am embarrassed to say that like, it's starting to, to get to the point where I can copy and paste Yeah, a lot of the <laughs> suggestions and, and, uh, uh, assessments and just change a few words. And like, I don't want it to be the case, but that is the case where I, I could do that. And it is that easy.
0: That, that 100% comes from focus. I had the same thing years ago. I, I used to do a similar kind of thing where I would do these roadmaps for freelancers and consultants who wanted, who were, you know, they, they're just like, I don't know what to do. I need someone to tell me what to do. And so I'd interview them and then I'd write up this big report and it got longer and longer and longer as I added things to it. And it was, mm. and then over time I was like, there's basically only two versions of this report that I create. Yeah. He's, you know, it's, I'm giving he, all the same, you know, I ended up turning it into a book. I'm like, it's just, new, you don't yeah. have to, and I canceled the road mapping thing. I'm like, if you're like this, A, B, and C, you're yeah. basically a new freelancer, read yeah. this book and it's going to be 90% of what you need to hear. So you know, just for the for the listener, this is purely from focusing, being really specific about who you work with, and over time, you know, you could. I'm not saying you, Joe, but but you listener can say, oh, I, I've kind of got this dialed. Maybe I'm going to go uh, up in you know a size, and so maybe I'm going to start handling bigger clients in the same vertical, or maybe I'm going to go to an adjacent vertical, or maybe I'm going to do something. I'm going to tackle a new area, but using my same process and skills and create the sort of new, you know, boilerplate is overstating it, but the same sort of product in another vertical. So it's a really, it's not, it, the reason I say that is because it's not really limiting. You can, It doesn't limit you at all. It just makes it easier. You know, it frees up your time and creative energy, just like you said in the message. And you can kind of, you know... You can be pretty confident you're going to hit a double every time you get up to the plate. You know, at least a it would be weird if you struck out. And it's a great feeling to have that sense of a high degree of competence when you walk into a situation like this, having that the confidence of the competence, kind of hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a feeling that you, that you get addicted to. And, and if you, uh, again, not you, Joe, but in, in historically speaking, it used to seem fun to me to like jump into a brand new situation with every client and like learn their industry and all that stuff. But once you know an industry and once you don't have to go through all of that learning curve and you can just hit the ground running, you don't really, I think most people don't want to go back to that kind of like noob one-on-one, oh, how how do you, how does money through flow through the business? How do you attract like, Right. It's right. like, if you have to ask all of those questions, sometimes, sometimes from a consulting standpoint, it is the case that a client really needs an outsider to bring in fresh eyes. But a lot of times it's not the case. They just need someone who knows their industry or, um, you know, whatever the thing is about them that, that is unique and can, or not unique, but to their, their space mm-hmm. and come in and be like, let me guess, you've got these five problems. And they're like, yeah, um, not the fifth one, but the other four. Yeah. And then we've got this other one. It's really, really, it's an example of creating leverage in your business, like an expertise business that is one way to create leverage where you don't have to waste a ton of time doing research and getting up to speed. You can just hit the ground running, but super important. I'm glad you called this out. It's super important to keep an open mind because you don't know everything and you might be surprised sometimes.
1: Yeah. And in every in every time, if I feel like I act like I know it and uh, say too much too early, I'm, probably shooting myself that split because <laughs> you know it's like there's yeah. there's just some there's some nuance there that's a little bit like unspoken whoever calls me maybe it's sometimes it's like i've dealt with companies that have uh three partners you know and and the dynamic of the three partners is such that there are things that can't be said in the presence of the three uh-huh like come out over the course of my evaluation right yeah and and for whatever and and i have an ability because by not saying anything early i am able to say it later and it be more effective
0: totally yeah yeah well i'm looking at the clock on the wall i know we both have to run to other things so uh, this has been super helpful thanks so much joe
1: thank you for letting me just like uh talk about my work over the last few years like and then honestly like when you when you were first telling me about how consulting could be this way i felt it was true but it felt so weird and strange and now i'm like oh oh, yes okay great i love it it's true and now i'm telling other people but i feel like i'm I'm speaking a different language to them sometimes yeah yeah so it's great to Talk to you and like uh, reflects back and like
0: okay yeah I'm limiting it now. (laughs) That's awesome. Glad to hear it. Cool. Where can people go to find out more about you? What's your website or do you have social media? If people want to have follow up questions or if they know an indie studio that might need your help, something like that.
1: Yeah. Um. I I, wow. Really need to update my website. I'm gonna. So it's a recurver. It's a recurve with an R at the end, and it's a based on archery. And I'll just say the quick uh, stint right there it's you stand in the same location you're shooting at a target and you're a little over or a little under you adjust and that's it's it's basically just a little word for iteration but r-e-c-u-r-v-e-r.com
0: awesome joe q thanks again for joining me thank you jonathan all right folks that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i hope you join me again next time on ditching hourly bye